in this room and the fathers who are the men who will one day be dads and and the the men who have, aren't biological fathers but they st- have stepped up and they are fathers to to others children I pray Lord that you would encourage and bless them today I pray Lord that you would help us all as men to strive to be more like Jesus and more like you as the perfect father in Jesus name I pray amen you guys can be seated so I'm going to stall a minute here while the worship team finds a seat and uh, I introduce who's coming next. So, anyway, it's good to see you guys. Oh, awesome. Move around. Thank you. Okay. So, today we're going to do something a little different because we like to, in fact, you might want to get used to different. Is that okay? We're going to do some different going forward. So, we'll, uh, yeah, this won't be the first different Sunday you come in and encounter, okay? One Sunday you might have to just sit on the floor. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. I'm too lazy for that myself, plus it takes me so long to get out of the floor, it's not even entertaining. So um, today, let me start at a different place. (laughs) Almost 20 years ago, my wife and I packed up all our belongings and left our family to follow Jesus to the West. We started in Colorado, and then we ended up in Rock Springs in 2003. Been here ever since. (laughs) You guys really like to suffer. I'll hand you that. When I left, there's a passage that Jesus gave us. He said, no one who's left father or mother or brother or sister leaves all that for me. They will, they will receive more than they gave up in this life and even more in the life to come. Since I've lived here, I've had men step in to be my dad. One of those men today is John Orr, and he's going to be sharing the last one that, that will be here. I've had men step in to be my older brother, and that to me is Alan Smith. I've worked with them on the same leadership team for longer than I can remember. My wife says 10 years, but it just seems like forever. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. And then also, I've had so many friends throughout the years. I came from ag country, and in the last year, I got to know Johnny and Rosie Dillman. And it's just like going home. They're, they came here from East Wyoming, and they come from the agricultural and farm and ranch community. And so going to sit and talk with them is like sitting and talking with my grandparents in a way, although they're not old enough to be my grandparents. I don't, I don't want Rosie to hit me later. <clears throat> what I'm trying to say is I've been beyond blessed with people that God has put in my life to fill the void of the things that I had to leave behind to follow Jesus. And so today, it is with a, it's with a joy that I introduce Johnny Dillman, Alan Smith, and John Orr. These are men who have been through life. They have, they've been married. They are married. They have struggled. They have overcome. And they, have, they still struggle. And yet they've learned, and I get so much wisdom from them. I wanted you to benefit from that as well, okay? So I'm going to start with Brother Johnny. If you'll come. You're about to hear from a rancher. Anything could happen now. Someone might get lassoed. It's possible. And then they're going to come right one after another. Johnny, Alan Smith, and then John Orr. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Happy Father's Day again to all the fathers and fathers-to-be. It's great to get all this recognition. It's, uh, we get it once a year at least, and uh, it's uh, a joy to kind of stand up here and talk to you. I don't know. Michael's expecting more than what I'm going to give him, but <laughs> anyway, uh, being a being a rancher, and I've been on both sides of the fence because when we first started out marriage, we had to uh, work in town and uh, live in town and everything too. But we was both blessed to be raised on farms and. Uh, so we know the life, and the only thing different about being an, in agriculture or being a farmer or a rancher and in, working in town is you get to be together all the time. And a lot of people say, I can't do that, but, <laughs> but when you're out working and doing what you are, your livelihood, you need to, uh, it works. and. Uh, it's great because you can have your kids with you, you can have your wife, and you all work together as a team, which you should be as a married couple. And uh, so anyway, before I get started too far into that, uh, when Michael asked me to do this, and he said, I want you to kind of talk on how to love your wife. And I said, well, I'm not sure if I can do that because I've only been married 55 years and uh, I'm still, we're still working at it and I still make mistakes and, uh, but she can overlook that. And then he throwed a real crank into it and told me I only had 10 minutes to do this in. And I said, to tell you all the things that I went through and how you can overlook some of the mistakes in that, I would have to talk like Michael Longfeller. And <laughs> so I, I don't know if I can talk, talk that fast. <laughs> and then I said, okay, so I decided to go ahead and start working on it. And then last Sunday, Pastor Steve gets up and starts talking and preaching, and uh, I told my wife, I said, he should have saved that for this Sunday, and then I wouldn't have had to get up here, but uh, he was talking about broken relationships and all that, but as it went in, it turned out it was our relationship with God and Jesus, but he really threw a bad deal in there when he told us Hallmark movies are not any good there <laughs> and I was going <laughs> I was going to tell you all how to take your wife and have a night of movies and uh, and watching that and I couldn't believe that he did that Becky I just couldn't believe but anyway as we go in to it uh, to get started I guess we need the first slide of uh, the other, about the the, the, the verse, the other Bible. And it says, in the same way, husbands ought to take their wives as, and love them as their own body. For a man who loves his wife actually showed love for himself. 
And if you go on down a couple more verses, it says that a man uh, should leave his father and mother and join with a wife, and they should be be married, and they should become one flesh. And also... It says, I don't know if it's a Bible deal or just being said, but uh, it says that it takes two to get married, but it takes three to make it work. And the third person is Jesus. And if you start out with Jesus in your life, in the middle of your marriage, it don't make it completely rock-free, but it... It sure helps. It smooths out a lot of bumps. And uh, you can fall back on Jesus anytime, and uh, it works a great deal for you. And another thing, Michael wanted me to kind of talk about wisdom off of the ranch, what a rancher would. And the only thing I could come up with is I don't be a act like an animal. So many men act like animals and treat their wives, you know, not with respect or anything. But you really don't want to be like an animal because most of the time, if you're a hunter or interested in sports and that, you know that there's only one time during the season there is breeding season. So that's the only time a man is worth anything. <laughs> and the uh, rest of the time, like on a farm, once the bull is done or the buck is done and that, they get taken out and they spent the rest of the summer all by themselves <laughs> until next year. So you don't want to be that way. It's hard enough to, <laughs> it's hard enough to. So anyway, we, uh, but you want to, the biggest thing is, is to have respect. Have respect for your wife and your children. And uh, that goes so far and. It even works in life. I mean, friends, if you treat your friends good, you'll have friends forever. And uh, so uh, one of the greatest gifts a father can give a child is to love their mother. And if you love their mother and show affection to her, you might always think, you know, your kids are, and nowadays, especially with all this electronic stuff, they're always sitting there and looking at their iPhones or whatever, and you don't think they're paying attention to you, but you'd be surprised what they see in you doing, and just a little bit of loving on your wife or touching her or this and that will make them sons grow up to be a 
better man to start with, and it makes the girls know that they are, should be treated with respect and not just any man can walk around over them and that. And uh, so show your, show your children and you want to be with them, spend time with them. And there's a story about a little girl that was in the first grade and the teacher told her one day, I want you to draw a picture of your family. So she started drawing, and when she handed it in, it was just the mom, herself, and a couple siblings. And the teacher said, well, I know you have a dad. How come your dad's not in this picture? She said, well, I know I do have a dad, but he hardly ever spends any time with us. He's always busy. He's always working late. He's doing this. He's doing that. So he's not in our picture very often. We don't want a picture like that. So spend time with your family and love them. And you'll... Uh, computer just went on blank. But... Um, Anyway, you want to you wanna tell them that you love them every day, show respect to them, and because one day you'll say, I wished I had, or I'm glad I did. So, in help out, you know, when you got married, the, the marriage certificate didn't say, man does this, woman does this, you're a team, you're one person now, so you share everything, and, you know, nowadays, where everybody has to have two incomes, and when we first got married, we could get by on what I did, and she stayed home and raised the family. But now it takes two. So the mother goes out and works, and she comes home. Kids run to her, grab her. They try to tell her everything that happened today. Through their life, she still has to cook. And that husband comes home, says, hi, call me when supper's ready. And, you know, this won't work. And come in, give her one of them Hallmark kisses. <laughs> and, and tell her, what do you need me to help you do tonight so we can have supper and we'll have time to sit down and relaxed together, but uh, I don't know how long I'm doing on time. You said you was going to blow an air horn. When I <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's, just, it's just one of them things that you got to work at, 
and it's a full-time job. It's just not after I say I do, it's over with, and everything's going to be great. So in closing, I'd like to say, you know, behind every successful man, every good man, there's a woman. And I'd like to introduce you today to my wife, Rosie. Stand up. Stand up. <laughs> She's been behind me, beside me, in front of me, all the way. It's been great. We've enjoyed each other. We've had three wonderful children. They've all done good. And so, in closing, I'd like to say the there is four very important words in life. They're love, it's honesty, it's the truth, and it's respect. Without these in your life, you have nothing. And without Christ, you have nothing either. So, that's... Thank you, Johnny. What a good reminder it is that we need to keep our most important relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And our second most important relationship with our wives. And then after that, our children. And that's what I get to speak on today. I'm going to talk as a, as a father, you won't always get it right, but you can always get back up. And to get through this in 10 minutes, I'm also going to have to speak like Michael Longfellow. I'm going to have to hurry through this. But I want to give you an example about what we're talking about. So Patty and I got married young. We had children when we were young. Um, we lived over on B Street at the top of B Street in a uh, upstairs apartment, and there was a lot of stairs. Well, Ryan was just crawling. It was a nice summer or spring day, but it was warm out. The grass was green. And we just bought a new camera. So we get Ryan all dressed up, and we take him downstairs. I take him downstairs to get some pictures of him on the lawn. Well, at the bottom of the stairs on the grassy area, there's a, a small, there is a small drop-off to where the walkway is to go out to the street. Okay. Now, Patty says it was a big one, but I'm telling you it's a small one. So Ryan's crawling. I've got the camera and he starts crawling toward this drop-off, all right? So I figure this is going to be a good lesson for him, you know? <laughs> We've got a lot of stairs there, and he needs to know that going downstairs is not a good idea until he gets the hang of it, especially forward. And I've got the camera, okay? <laughs> so sure enough, he goes over, he goes off the stairs, he hits his chin or his nose, I can't remember. But anyway, he starts crying. I get a great picture. <laughs> But I get Ryan, and I start to head upstairs to where Patty's at. And, well, she's heard her baby crying already. And Mama Patty is coming to see what's wrong. All right. So I didn't literally have to get back up, but she definitely let me know that it wasn't the right thing to do. So I learned a very important lesson here. Okay? If you're going to let your children do something hazardous, 
talk to mom about it first. <laughs> or do it when she's not around. <laughs> so at Ordinary Faith, we say the Bible is our guide. So I looked at fathers in the Bible. Um, Jesus is our, our, our great example in the Bible. But Jesus wasn't a father. But Jesus had a father. Now, Joseph, Mary's husband, he was not Jesus' father. But he had the privilege of helping raise Jesus when he was young. God, God the Father, was Jesus' father. So in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, we see where Jesus tells us this. I mean, we see where God tells us this. Um, Jesus was starting his ministry. He'd gone out to where John the Baptist was baptizing people. And after he con convinced John the Baptist that this is the way it needed to be, he baptized him. And so it says, after his baptizing, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Wouldn't you love to hear that as a child? So that's one of the first things. Don't be afraid to praise your children. But then Jesus himself tells us that who his father was. Jesus was in his ministry. There was a man that had a deformed hand, a crippled hand, and Jesus healed it. He made him whole again. But he did it on the Sabbath. And so the religious leaders were questioning Jesus. You know, but what authority do you have to do this by? And so from John 5, 19, Jesus tells us. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. And when he's talking to the son here, he's talking to himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. So the Bible also tells us that God didn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He's always been. So Jesus had a lot of time to spend with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, before he was born here on earth. But even after he was born here on earth, he spent a lot of time in prayer with the Father. And from Luke 6, 12 and 13, Jesus had just preached to the, or taught, we call it preaching now, but he had taught a lot of the people and his disciples, and after he was done, it says, uh, one day soon after, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. So it was a big decision that Jesus had to make, and he wanted to spend time with his father, so he got it right. So my first point is this, dads. You have to spend time with your children. Johnny shared that with us a little bit ago. You have to spend time with your children. Teach them. Teach them life lessons. Teach them life skills. Teach them spiritual lessons. Let them see how you relate to other people. Make memories with them, good memories. Let them see you being Christ in the world and in their lives. Okay, but this is where you might not always get it right. 
Again, as Pastor C said last week, as humans, we go our own ways. And we're better at messing things up and even tearing things apart. And so, if you have had an argument or a conflict with an older child, you may not even be speaking to them. It's hard to spend time with them like that. Maybe you're separated or divorced from the mother of your children. It's hard to spend time with them like that. We can't do it on our own, as Pastor C said. We have to have God's help. So pray that God can help you mend fences, mend some relationships so that you can spend time with your children. Because I tell you what, you have a small window of opportunity when they're young. When you're in the middle of raising them, it might seem like a long time. <laughs> but it's a small window. It really is. You know, that, that time from when they look at you and say, oh, that's my dad. Well, that time that they are a teenager and you said, oh, that's just my dad. Okay? And then pretty soon, they're either off on a job or they're off to school, start a family of their own. And you can still spend time with them. You can still be in their life. But just remember, mend those fences. Spend time with them. When I was a young father, as Pastor Michael taught, well, it's been several weeks ago. It was pre-pandemic. I was probably in the cowboy stage of my manhood. I spent a lot of time working. I had a good job, but we just bought a new house. We had another baby on the way. And even after that, I spent a lot of time at work. And a lot of it was my choice. It was overtime. So I missed a lot of that time with the kids when they were real young. Um, sometimes I was not very fun to be around. I was moody. I was tired. But thankfully, we got through that stage of life. Our marriage survived. My relationship with our children survived. Just remember, it's important to spend time with your children however you have to make that happen. Now, the second father that I looked at in the Bible was the father of the prodigal son. Jesus taught us many, many things from this parable, and it is a parable. It's a story that Jesus told. Now, right before he told this parable, he talked about the missing coin, and he talked about the lost sheep. So one of the main things Jesus is saying is if you lose something and you find it, you can be happy. So I'm going to read from Luke 15, and we don't have slides for all of this, but I'm going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 24, and then we'll go back and look at a couple of those verses. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide, to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve 
He persuaded a local father, farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Up in verse 13, we see where the son left, moved to a distant land, and was living wildly. Now, back then, didn't have a smartphone or a computer, so you couldn't check Facebook and check up on your kids, you know. But I would imagine that the grapevine was working pretty good. Now, this is a story, so I can, I can imagine here a little bit. The grapevine was working pretty good. A merchant maybe went from the town where the father lived to where the son was at to do some commerce, do some business for a while. And he saw how the son was living. Well, when he got back home, of course, it was his responsibility to tell the father how the son was living. So I would imagine that the father had a pretty good idea of what his son was doing. But then in verse 17, it says that he came to his senses. The son came to his senses after hitting rock bottom, of course. But he came up with his plan to repent. And repent just means turn around, quit doing what you were doing, and ask forgiveness. He realized he had not just sinned against his father, but he had also sinned against heaven. So how did his father react? That's the thing I really want to look at this morning. How did his father react? You know, he knew how his child had been living. He knew he had been gone and wasted money. He could have seen him coming. He could have told the servants, I don't want to see him. Send him away. He could have went out to see him. He could have said, look what you've done. I told you so. You know, you wasted all this money. You just have to live with the circumstances you're in now. That's not how the father reacted. My son was lost, and now he's found. Let's have a party. He's back in. He forgave him, just like Christ forgives us. When we confess our sins, repent. That's setting us free. His father set his son free. So, Dad, my second point is, no matter what your child does, never stop loving them. You don't have to approve of everything that they're doing, and you can tell them in a loving way if they'll listen to you. But never stop loving them and praying for them. 
okay, this is where you might not get it right. You could say to your son some of those things that I said the prodigal son's father might have said to him. You know, maybe your child has, you've had an argument with them, and it's like, well, you quit talking. You don't want to see them anymore. I want to give you an uh, account from our past. When our daughter was ready for college, she went to her first year of college at Weaver State in Ogden. She was a volleyball player. And when she left home, she left the restraints of home. And she started living her own way. She started sinning. Patty and I never gave up on her. We would still go down to the volleyball games. We would still go down to help her when she needed help. We spent time with her. Yeah, sometimes when we were coming home from Ogden, you know, we wouldn't be able to talk. Patty would part, cry part of the way home. Of course, I couldn't cry because I was driving. But Patty's mom gave us some very wise advice at that time. She said, continue to tell your daughter that you love her. And later on, our prayer life greatly improved. We went to the throne room, as Pastor Michael said, and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for Michelle. Later on that same semester or that same year, she got involved with a group of Christians on campus. And she turned her life around. She repented. She asked forgiveness. And this is a happy ending. Today she has a great relationship with God. She has a husband that has a great relationship with God, and he loves her. And they have three wonderful children. And so it's a good story. I mean, it's a good account. But she told us one time, she said, you guys always told me that you love me even when I was in the middle of it. And it made such a difference in her life. So whatever your children do, tell them you love them. Be there for them. It might not be easy. Don't ever end the conversation. If you get angry, try to remember that God never gave up on you, never gave up on me. Paul gives us some good advice in Ephesians 4, 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Okay, this is where I have to give you a warning. God has given us all a free will, even our children. They might not live their life the way that you want them to. They might not live their life the way that God wants them to but never give up on them. So in conclusion, spend time with your children. Show them what it means to live as a Christ follower. Repent when you go your own way. And if appropriate, talk to your children about it. And never stop loving your children or your grandchildren and keep praying for them as long as you can. All right, I'm going to turn this over to Brother John. He's going to share with us.
good afternoon. Happy Father's Day. Hello. Hi, son. <laughs> Michael always calls me father or dad, so I have to call him son, I guess. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of how to get out of doing this, and I finally figured it out. My daughter showed up today, Miranda, and her husband and my grandson. They're awesome. So the best way to find out how I did as a father, she's going to come up and let you, and let you know. <laughs> so I don't have to do this. <laughs> she's, she's smiling and turning red. She says, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Um, why do our children, whether they're young or old, refuse our help or our advice? Uh, that's the question, right? We, we really want to know how to reach our children. And as much as we try, sometimes they just don't want to cooperate. So I don't know if you guys have ever had that problem, uh, but it's a problem. Is it because our children are prideful, resentful, untrusting, don't care, don't listen, or sometimes they just don't understand? Well, uh, or maybe actually they have a better idea than you do. <laughs> says, Dad, I know how to do this. Um, have you ever heard the term, are you smarter than a five-year-old? Um, well, I have a grandson. His name is Roman. He's sitting over there. And we taught him pretty well. Um, we taught him how to read and how, how to add and subtract before he was five. And, you know, before he knew it, there's nothing I could teach him. <laughs> or, or my granddaughter, for that matter, either. They're pretty smart kids. So, um, but all these uh, things, the prideful, resentful, untrusting, these are outward visible attitudes that are hard to deal with if you don't know the underlying causes. So, um, I kind of titled this message, The Heart of the Matter May Be the Heart. Uh, the matter of the heart. So we fathers and mothers uh, are responsible for our kids to uh, raising them. We ne desperately need to connect with their hearts. So they are sinners just like we are. They are disobedient just like we are. Uh, it's like sinners raising sinners. So... <laughs> That's, that's a, you know, how, to, how come we, God, you let us do this? <laughs> it's, it's an amazing concept. Um, but we need to connect to their hearts. And they need the same tender, loving care that God gave us, right? So uh, if we just understand how God deals with us, then that gives us an idea how we can deal with our children. But God 
gave us, he looks at our heart and he, and he, according to our heart, he raises us and trains us. And we need to do the same for our children. Uh, we need not to do this with a, a, a fear-based approach. Okay? Sometimes, as a last resort, um, we, God does deal with us, and we're fearful of it if we don't listen. And that could be a fearful thing, but God wants to reach us with love. In Colossians 3, 21, um, says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. He does not want to lose our hearts, so he uses grace uh, to try to reach us. Okay? Uh, exasperation is an interesting word. It's extreme impatience, uh, frustrating your children or whomever, your wife or <laughs> your employees or whatever it is. Uh, if you treat them like a slave, you're going to exasperate them. If you treat them like a dictator, you're going to, going to exasperate them. They will give up and they will become angry and they will lose heart. Our attitude goes a long way in reaching our heart, our children's heart and their minds. God is patient with us. We should be patient with our children. My dad was a, a no-nonsense guy. And uh, uh, we learned very quickly growing up as young children uh, that... Uh, we had borders, we had um, boundaries, we had limits. And if we crossed those, uh, we experienced the result. My dad uh, had a belt, and he would use it if he had to. <laughs> that was his form of discipline as a last resort. And he would... Usually, 90% of the time that we would get disciplined in that way was actually when we mistreated our mother. And we learned very quickly that even when my dad was gone, we would treat our mother with respect. We would obey, and uh, uh, we would not argue, and if we did... We would just wait for our dad to come home from work. And i got to tell you this story. When I was about 10 years old, I got mad at my mother, and I decided that I was going to run away. So I did. I left the house. It was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I believe. Actually, it was a little later than that. Because in a half an hour, it was getting dark, and I got scared. So I came back home. <laughs> I got a few blocks, and that was about it. And uh, my dad was on evening shift, 
and he came home by midnight, and I was sleeping. Uh, I got woke up uh, out of my sleep very quickly, and I experienced <clears throat> the discipline that uh, I didn't like very much, but I learned after that I would never do that again. So, and other things that happened, and my two brothers and two sisters experienced the same thing. But uh, somehow he knew he wasn't a Christian, and I don't understand where he got this wisdom. I really don't, because he did he 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 knew when and when not to use that kind of discipline. And uh, most of the time, or so, but I'll uh, tell you, my next thing is grace is key. And I'll tell you about that in a second. A grace-based approach will allow them to have the freedom to be vulnerable and to be candid and to make mistakes and to be different. Our kids are not... Our kids, we are all um, created in God's image, right? So our children are not going to be like you. How often do you see parents trying to raise their kids to be like themselves? It just won't, doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen. Every one of our children are different from each other and different from yourself. So we need to make keep that in, in mind when we raise our children. You want them to confide, confide in, your, in you without fear. <clears throat> God allows us to approach him in, the, in his throne without terrifying fear. So in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is the kind of atmosphere that we want our children to grow up in. One of grace. It will open up to you with under with their underlying troubles and issues if they trust you. you they will not trust you if you create an atmosphere of fear. If God punishes, think about it, if God punishes us physically every time we get out of line, we would not feel forgiveness or we would not feel the grace. My dad was a disciplinarian, but he was also a loving dad. Um, he... Um, he never disciplined us and kept a grudge. We would be disciplined in one minute, and the next minute we would be playing and laughing and having fun. And that's what it's all about, is discipline and loving. That provides the atmosphere of grace. Grace means forgiveness and moving on. That will create a place, an atmosphere, so that they'll approach you 
with their needs and their issues. Well, what makes our children tick? To find out the underlying issues of our children, we need to be curious about their heart condition, their thoughts and ideas. What do they love to do? What are they are afraid of and et cetera? Who do they spend time with? And who do they avoid? How do they relate to God? All of this leads to knowing their heart. We need to show them we appreciate them for who they are. We, um, because they are different than us. So we need to find out who they are instead of trying to make them like us. Honor them, spend time with them, play with them, hug them, cry with them, lead them, and coach them. The reason I put the word coach in there is because my dad was a sports addict. <laughs> if you're going to be an addict, you might as well be a sports addict. It's a, it's a great addict to have compared to the other bad ones that we see in this world. Um, my dad would, he, he would discipline us if we did something wrong. The next minute, we'd be playing basketball. We'd be, he'd be showing me how to dribble. He'd be showing us how to uh, do this and that. And the list goes on and on. And we need to help our children to develop a vision for their future. Teach them God's precepts and commandments. Explain God's ways and answer their questions. Ephesians chapter 6, 4. I think this will be the second time today I've seen this. Fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and the counsel and the admonition of the Lord. We need to counsel our children in the... Uh, with God's word. We need to teach our children that, um, that try to teach our children that it, with their issues, what would God do in this situation? What would Jesus do? Use God's word to train up your kids. Use prayer with your kids to solve their issues and answer their questions. Tell them, we need to tell them we love you. We need to tell them uh, and show them that we love them. We need to walk the talk. Fathers, don't leave it up to your wives to love your children. Don't be the only disciplinarian. Make sure that you cover, uh, be on the same page with your children in discipline and love. Talk about them and uh, don't let them, uh, don't let them um, use one of you against the other is what I'm trying to say too. Um, they need to know, like, uh, like Alan says, love your, show your kids that you love your wife. That my dad was good at that too. I don't know where he got the wisdom. I'd like, uh, but but if you if your kids grew up, they know how you treat your 
wife and how your wife treats your husband. You have to be on the same page. Be involved with their activities and everything that they do. Fathers, we need to fight for your, you need to fight for your child's heart. Whatever it takes, that's your, that's your priority in life. Your wife, your God, your wife, and your children. You have to fight for your child's heart, which means you have to fight for their life because that's what it amounts to. Never give up. Pray for them. They are a gift from God, and he gave us the responsibility to care for them. And guess what? He actually demands that he gets them back in better condition. (laughs) And uh, so it's a responsibility we need to take seriously. They have to develop their own faith or they will fall away. And even if they do develop their faith, chances are they will fall away for a period of time. But if they know God after you're done with them, they will come back. If we prepare uh, them well, they will have a more, um, an easier, successful life. They will know how to deal with life's issues. They will be raised godly, and they will have godly grandchildren, most likely. So, don't give up. Would you stand? Let's sing.